Well, I want to return to our character series. Character series. Remember that? We've been doing a character series. Uh, what a character is a, it's a phrase in our society and it generally is used in a positive way when we say someone's a bit of a character. It's generally an affirmation that they stand out from the crowd on some level. Is that true or is that not true? And so I'm going to return to this, uh, but tonight I really need your help. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. I'm a little bit worried about this message because it's going to be my clumsy attempt to preach about female, a female character. Because you know what I thought as I was thinking about, well, I might do another thing in the character series. I realised I've not spoken about one girl in the Bible. (laughs) Slap my wrist. I cannot believe actually that my wife hadn't already slapped my wrist over that. Uh, But the fact is I'm not good with fashion, with makeup or getting emotional over kittens. Uh, As a matter of fact, that would be the last thing that you'd ever find me doing. So I had to find some Bible girls that I could really relate to. Any bloke could relate to. And of course, you girls will be inspired as we go, I'm sure. Um, But I I needed to find girls, you know, that could really take care of business. That's what I mean. And it wasn't hard to... Girls like Kate Johnson. (laughs) I don't know whether she's here tonight. Is Kate... Probably the only night this year she hasn't been here, which is awesome because it means I can refer to her all through the message without embarrassing her too much. But, you know, I've never had a problem with girls getting things done. I'm the youngest of six. And, uh, and mum had two sets of twins above me. So we had a single boy, then boy, girl, boy, girl, then me. Mum was 44 when she had me. But I tell you what, mum could get things done. And as all my siblings would say, I was the spoilt, rotten brat, the youngest child. It's absolutely true. I loved it. Mum knew how to pamper. Mum knew how to get things done. And I sucked it all up like a sponge. And I'm so glad that I did because she's in the presence of Jesus now. And I'm sure she's getting things done there too. And then I have my wife. I've had no problems with girls getting things done because I've got my wife. And you know that she is very capable. Come on, Pastor Sue is, is capable and, uh, and she's caring and she's kind and she's scary. <laughs> she's capable too. I mean, you get between her and the kids and Mama Bear comes alive, you know what I mean? So, and that's even including me. I tend to be the one who gets in trouble the most around our children and because uh, Sue's always rescuing, rescuing them from my stingy attitudes. But the, without a doubt, Sue is the best part of the Chris and Sue equation. So I've never had a problem with girls getting things done. Uh, but interestingly, you know, everyone has like an emotional, uh, 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 has a cultural bias. We all have cultural biases and they take all forms uh, from our upbringing, from our experiences in life, even just from our preferences. Sometimes our biases are just because we just don't like that. It's just not the way I'd want it done. And it becomes this like this cultural bias that we've got and we are often totally ignorant of. And uh, basically what this cultural bias means is when people of a particular culture make assumptions about conventions of language or behaviour or beliefs or social order or whatever. And the fact is we see this in the Bible too, particularly towards women. And the Bible is about, and we've got to realise this, the Bible is not a book of perfect people. The Bible is a book of real people trying to work it out. Just like us. 
But it's funny how sometimes we get these rose-coloured pictures of Bible characters and then we get disappointed when they disappoint us. And you realise they're not perfect. But what that should be is a huge encouragement to us that they're people just like us. They're just trying to paddle their canoe and, and, you know, and get through life. And they're making mistakes sometimes along the way. But the Bible is full of clues as to what God really wants us to be doing. Hey, and when, when I say that, what I'm saying is this too. And that is just because something's in the Bible doesn't mean it's because it's, because it's something God wants. When someone says, I believe everything in the Bible, it's like, well, yeah, I believe it, but I don't agree with it. Mm. (laughs) I don't agree with everything in the Bible because God doesn't. (laughs) So he put things in there God doesn't agree with. So, okay, so let's just get a bit of a realistic viewpoint of the scriptures because we've had, you know, we've had some cultural stuff in church that has made the Bible like this uh, pristine, untouchable book where everything is perfect. And if that was the case, it just wouldn't relate to humanity. It wouldn't reflect humanity. And it certainly wouldn't reflect God's interactions with an imperfect humanity. What we find in the book is a raw story of real people sometimes being brilliant and sometimes being horrible and God being constant in the midst of it all, trying to lead us into a broader, better place and a clearer understanding of who He actually is and how He actually thinks about us. So that's what we sort of have in scripture and I love to see in the Bible there are regularly places that break pattern yes. they break the pattern of established thought of the people of the time challenge our thinking even now and reveal another whole way of viewing the world not just not just for the people in the Bible but for the whole of society yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 puts it this way talking about the adventures of ancient people that were ancient for Paul. I mean, Paul is ancient us. There were people who went before him that he considered ancient. And he said this about their lives. These things happened to them as examples and were written down, listen to it, as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. In other words, those of us living in end times. Has anyone heard anyone with everything that's going on at the moment? It's like, whoo, it's end times. Can we just settle this? We were born into end times. Uh, The the cross of Jesus was the beginning of the end times. So if you're waiting for the end times to begin, you've sort of missed the boat. And if you step up as a prophet and go, oh, I think it's end times. It's like, hey, welcome to the party. (laughs) Finally, you've opened your eyes and realised Paul is saying he's in end times 2,000 years ago. And he's saying these things are written as an example to us. So I want to talk about the story of two women. Two women tonight. And man, these girls can get things done. And we've got to understand these are ancient people in a very different age. Don't look at these people through the eyes of 2021. It's so easy for us to judge ancient people's from our perspective and for us to feel morally superior when we had no idea what their world looked like or the reality of where they lived at the time. So here we are, we're going to look in the book of Judges. That's a good book full of violence. And so Judges chapter 4, where else was I going to find two extremely violent women? And so Judges chapter 4, verses 2 to 9, Caesarea, 
The commander of his army was based in this big, ugly named place because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites, listen to it, for 20 years. Okay, sound familiar? 20-year war? They cried out to the Lord for help and, and that was the response of the people. They're crying out, we've been suffering for 20 years under this, let's say, more sophisticated nation with greater sophisticated weapons of warfare. And now Deborah, a prophet, that's interesting, a woman prophet, there's a few of them in the scriptures, the wife of Lapidoth, great name for a kid, (laughs) was leading Israel at that time. So in that first verse, That would have to shatter a lot of your cultural assumptions about women in leadership if you had a very conservative view of whether women should be in leadership or not because believe it or not, there's still some sections of the church that are arguing that fact. Again, it's a little bit like end times. That ship sailed not just 2,000 years ago with Jesus. We're talking now in Deborah's day 3,000 years ago. This is 3,000 years ago. And not only is she recognised as a prophet, she happens to be leading the nation. Okay. Now that should should be shattering some cultural assumptions for some of us maybe. And so... uh, She's leading Israel and she held court under the palm of Deborah. She even had a palm named after her, a palm tree, between Ramah and Bethel, or the house of God. That's what Bethel means, in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So she's judging the nation and she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Okay. In other words, I've got a word for you. I've heard from God on your behalf. This is the command. Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon and lead them up to Mount Tabor. And I will lead Caesarea, or Caesarea, sorry, Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army, this enemy commander. I will lead them to Mount, sorry, I will where am I? The commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Literally, she's going to lead them up a valley. And she's saying, you be waiting there with 10,000 men and I'll lead them right to you. And uh, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. And so she says to him, I mean, you've got to read that in, haven't you? It's like big command. You've got 10,000 manager. You've got a word from the Lord, hot from the prophet's lips. (laughs) Well, only a few come, dear. Anyway, I'll go with you. Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honour will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Caesarea into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh and the rest, as they say, 
is history. The nation ends up delivered and they sing a great big song, which is the next chapter. The whole chapter is a song that Deborah and Barak sing to celebrate this great victory, which was a deliverance of the nation from oppression. Was it a war? Yes. It was the deliverance of a nation. So tonight, I'm going to look at two girls, but I want to focus on Deborah. What a character. She is a study in courage and audacity. Verse 7, just returning to some of the passages I'll pick out. I'll lead Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops. In other words, I'll bring him and the tanks. I'll bring him and their most sophisticated weapons of war. And I'll lead them into the Kishon River and give him into your hands. And what she seems to be suggesting is that I will be the bait. Want to deal with this guy? This guy that's been oppressing us? I tell you what, why don't we set an ambush? Why don't you take all the army and you'll be standing behind 10,000 men? Meanwhile, I'll go out, challenge him, and I'll be the hare and he can be the hound. That's what she's saying. So talk about courage. He's he's standing behind 10,000 men. And he still doesn't want to be there. And she's saying, I will be the cheese in the trap for the rat. And that's what she does. We're talking a military campaign with spears and arrows and pointy things (laughs) that kill people and chariots that run them over. That's what we're talking about. She's in the real world. It's hardcore courage, no matter how you look at it. Do you like Deborah already? <laughs> Verse 8, and you, Pastor Seward, love Deborah. <laughs> Don't act too much like it, darling. Okay. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I'll go. If you don't, you know, etc., etc. He wanted her to hold his hand. And I look at that and it's like, Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> she wants, he's commanding her to go to battle. And it's like, If you hold my hand, I will. And then we've got verse 9. Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you're taking, the honour will not be yours. The Lord will deliver Caesarea into the hands of a woman. So she said, you're not going to receive any honour. The fact is, she would get it. And so would the second girl that appears in the story. They would walk away with the honour of the victory on the day. And this is all at a time Uh, when women in society in general had no position, let alone leadership. This is an abnormality in the ancient world. It was an abnormality for Israel, but it was pretty well an abnormality for most of the cradle of civilization at this time. And I love that the way the Bible points to the future and points to the way that God sees people because he sees them differently to what we ultimately often culturally filter them through. So uh, if you look at it as an example, a a woman's testimony in court was not accepted. They could not swear that something had happened or not because you couldn't trust the word of a woman. Uh, And yet what we find her doing is not just testifying in court, she's the judge. (laughs) 
<laughs> She's the judge. So it's again, it's a cultural abnormality. There's a, it's blown up. The river has overflown its banks when it comes to women in ministry. Uh, and I love this because she rose up not because of a quota, not because some politician dictated that we should have so many girls on the circuit court. Now, I understand that in our society, sometimes we've got to do that because of the entrenched systems and the stupidity of man. But I'm not sure that it ever honours a girl to get a position simply because she's been given a quota. When there are so many girls ready to rise up, that totally rise up in, in their own sense of merit, with their own sense of gift, with their own sense of anointing, with their own sense of the call of God, with their own sense of purpose, and they've got the courage and they've got the audacity to make something happen when men tremble. Now, you know, boys, I love us. We do men's breakfast. Come on. We do men's breakfast. We eat bacon take photos of ourselves we get things out of the movies like the tank from fury and we put our heads on the soldiers because but the fact is sometimes boys aren't stepping up and girls are stepping up and filling their place and some of those places not all of them some of them the girls are called to and some of them the boys are called to and yet honestly I said to someone in the foyer before if girls hadn't stepped up the church would not have existed Never. If you look at the, the, the women in Jesus' life and ministry that made things happen, so much of it wouldn't have happened without the ladies on the team. And so, uh, so I love this. This is, as I said, 3,000 years ago, which leads us really to that Bible, to that discussion of women in leadership and the misunderstanding around it, I think, and understanding that there's lots of things that are in Scripture that seem to restrict women that are totally cultural references. Paul says things like, I won't let a woman teach a man, and a woman should wear a head covering. Well, you know what? I agree with Paul. If you're in first century Corinth, and you're worshipping a sex god, and you go out in public as a woman, and you don't have a headscarf on, and that says that I'm a temple prostitute, and I'm open for business, I'd understand why Paul said to the church, women, cover your heads. Nowadays, we've got wedding rings. Problem solved. And we've still got people walking around in headscarves because they didn't get the memo that that was a cultural reference like so many things we see in Scripture. And there's lots to learn from it. That's why we've got wedding rings to remind us we're not open for business to the sex god of this age. (laughs) We've committed to someone. (laughs) You see it in Paul's instructions to slaves. Have you ever read this one? If you have not struggled with this, then you've not thought about the Bible. Okay? Slaves, obey your masters. First century Rome. Well, do you obey your master if you're a gladiator? They were slaves. Do you obey your master if you're a prostitute? (laughs) They were slaves, boys and girls. What do you do with that? When the Bible seems to be affirming slavery, does it not? But we've just got to understand the cultural overlay. First century Rome, if you wanted to get rid of a slave, you didn't need an excuse, you just slit their throat. 
Paul's not trying, the Bible's not trying to teach slavery. It's trying to teach slaves how to survive in the context that they're living. (laughs) Don't push back against this thing. Jesus did exactly the same thing with the people of his generation. He prophesied over Jerusalem he could see destruction simply because in their hearts they were going to do a political uprising. And that's why he said things like those who live, who live by the sword die by the sword. And I see great terror coming upon the city and every stone torn. And he was absolutely right because he knew if they tried to fight a spiritual battle in a physical way, they were going to end up on the wrong end of the tip of the spear of Rome. Cultural references that often we have just extrapolated to ridiculous levels and got so totally wrong. Instead of just understanding that the Bible didn't just fall out of heaven, out of a blank space written by God. It was written by people who lived in real time, in a real world, who were inspired by the Spirit. Yeah, yeah very good. <laughs> and, uh, and their fingerprints are all over it. Yeah. You just have to read different books of the Bible to know that and go, that's a different author. Yeah. <laughs> there was 40 plus different authors yeah. over several thousand years. Of course it's going to read differently. Yeah. If it doesn't, you're not reading it. <laughs> okay. And so, you know, people have asked Sue and I, you know, what do you do with this issue of women in leadership? <laughs> and we say, what issue? <laughs> Is there an issue? <laughs> We're simply determined to accept the fact that in Jesus, in Christ, <laughs> there's no dual Greek. In other words, there's no cultural divide. It's not meant to be. Jesus breaks down the middle wall of division. Doesn't he? Yeah. And says, love your brother. (laughs) And there's neither male nor female. We don't place value on people according to gender. And I certainly don't want to limit people according to gender. We've just decided to make it a non-issue. And I love it, the fact that our church reflects that, even our high-level leadership team. Because just sitting down this week, I'm like, I think we might have more girl pastors than boy pastors at the moment. I'm not sure. I I never got to the end of counting that. But it's at least equal. If not, the girls might be winning by one. (laughs) Who actually carry official credentials of our movement. And I just think that's just a reflection of what God is doing amongst his people. And what he wants to do amongst his people. Are you okay with that? Are you interested to go here to this little bit of a different place? I just think it's important for us and particularly, you know, all of us young people understand why we believe what we believe. Because I know there's twits out there on the internet and on Facebook that will post their opinions about things. And they they live so narrow they could look through a keyhole with both eyes at the same time. And they didn't get the memo that God's been trying to write for 3,000 years. They still don't seem to have picked up on some of the hints that God's quite happy to use the female variety too. That girls have got something on their life. Boys have got something on their life. And praise God for champions in the faith who stand up. And praise God for the girls who make it happen. Yeah, guys, okay? Yeah, I'm preaching to the choir here. I know it. The fact is, I mean, if we just look at the New Testament, what I said with neither Greek nor Jew nor male nor female, that stuff's 2,000 years old. 
Yet the churches struggle with it. For Jesus, it wasn't an issue. You look at the women who supported his ministry. You look at the fact that it was mainly girls at the cross. The Apostle John was there. He's the only one mentioned. Everyone else is off hiding, but it's several women that are at the foot of the cross. Witnesses to the resurrection. Now remember, in these, even in Jesus' day, by Jesus' day, a woman's testimony was still not a valid thing and yet God chooses to write them in the story as the first witnesses to the resurrection, the most important event that has ever happened in the history of mankind. <laughs> and God makes the girls front and centre. And I've just got the feeling it's no accident. He's just trying Maybe, you know, at Deborah, it's like, you guys missed that? They went on for another thousand years. Did you guys really miss that? I better send that signal again. Hey, the resurrection would be a great stage to present that message once again. For Paul, it wasn't an issue. I love this passage, and, and as long as I've studied the apostolic ministry, I've loved it. Romans 16, verse 7. And Paul just throw away lines. He says, Greet Andronicus and Junia. My fellow Jews have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. And Paul, is, it's this one of the earliest lists of next generation apostles after Jesus' original apostles. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, Junia is a Greek female name. Some later texts, actually, because of bias, people altered later texts to say Junius, the male version. But our earliest texts, Codex, Sinaiticus, etc., they express it as a female term. So, Paul didn't have a problem. He's actually saying, you know what? I know a great female apostle. And this is the first century. This isn't some newly introduced thing by liberal theology. This is scripture. That's 2,000 years old, Geordie. Would you believe it? Okay, let's get to the second girl really pretty quick. There's a gruesome end to this story, but I just wanted to finish it because, man, I love it when girls get things done. You ready for a gruesome end? Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim. And all Caesarea's troops fell by the sword, not a man was left. And Caesarea, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael. He actually ran away from his men. And the wife of Heba the Kenite, sorry, that's who she was, Jael, the wife of Heba the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heba the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Caesarea and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink. A bit like my mum going over the top to nurture and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. And if someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say, no. But Jael, Heba's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. And she drove the peg 
through his temple into the ground. And it's funny how the Bible says the obvious. And he died, as you would. And then Barak came out in pursuit of Caesarea and Jael went out to meet him and said, come, she said, I'll show you the man you're looking for. So he went in there with her and there lay Caesarea with the tent peg through his temple, dead. The Bible just said it a second time. I don't know whether I want to survive that particular trauma. They were very violent times. They had lived persecuted, slaughtered, raped for 20 years. We shouldn't be shocked by the violence in the Bible because it's people just like us trying to work it out, trying to survive, trying to get through. And the Bible doesn't defend it. It says that's what happened. What do we learn from it? Don't mess with the ladies, is what I suggest. (laughs) If these things are written as a warning, don't stuff with JL. That's for sure. But ultimately, it's just women in Scripture getting things done. Even the dirtiest, ugliest things. They just had to be done. They had to cut the head off the snake. And just as Deborah prophesied, a woman would get to do it. Here's some questions we could ask ourselves, very simple questions, and then I'm I'm way out of time. What are the cultural biases that you bring or you risk bringing to your world, to your view, just the way that you prefer to see things? You might even be sitting there right now, I'm sure they're probably somewhere online, there's someone who's disagreeing with me vehemently, but all I say is just stop and just check that what's upsetting you is not simply a cultural bias. Make sure you read the memos that God is sending. Here's the second question, and this is a question, I guess, um, for the boys. Where do you see girls in the house stepping up? And is it an area you could step up to? You see girls stepping up, making it happen. I see all kinds of things happen around this place just because the girls are in. The girls have got more life groups. We predominantly see more girls make decisions to follow Christ. The girls are doing it, boys. Where do we get to step up? Does anyone feel challenged? Man, let's step it up. And it's not a competition. It's not a competition. It's just we should all find our place. And the, the second question is similar to it. Girls... Where do you see the boys stepping up? Because they are. And is that an area you could step up to? Because can I just say to the girls tonight, you have permission. (laughs) You have permission to step up and do everything that God has put in your heart because you are believed in. I think you're an absolute champion. I think Scripture shouts aloud to you tonight that girls can get stuff done and God's okay with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together real quick, real quick. At least we know why we believe what we believe. And if I haven't changed your beliefs, that's okay too. It's just a message. Remember, good words, good sermons, they aren't meant to be agreed with or disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with. (laughs) Father, we thank you. Thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for each one here, every heart, every life that's represented. 
and you're calling us all to do something with our lives that makes a difference in the lives of others. And I pray we'd never let cultural bias or cultural assumption put a lid on what we sense that you want us to do. That the only limitation is us. And I just pray for the courage, the strength, the audacity to break any glass ceiling, whether it's for a young man in the marketplace, for it's a, whether it's a young woman stepping out to serve Jesus. I pray that we would break every glass ceiling and determine to be all you've created us to be in Jesus' name. And just while we're in this moment, if you're here with us tonight, maybe you've never come to that point of opening your heart to God. Maybe you even thought, wow, you know, all this stuff is just so outdated. Well, I hope that you've just seen a little bit of just how relevant Scripture has been for maybe 3,000 years, God saying things that our society feels pretty proud to have got a little bit right in the last 20 or 30. And Scripture's been screaming at us for 3,000 years to think this way. Or maybe you're at a point that you're just ready to give God a go in your life. Maybe you recognise, I've been trying to do this by myself and my own strength. I'm just ready to try a different path. And friend, tonight, the path I'd offer you is Jesus Christ. He said it himself. He is the way, the truth, the life. Scripture says he is the saviour of the world. And you can step into a relationship with God through him in the simplest of ways tonight, right where you stand, right where you stand, by opening your own heart and very authentically in your own heart of hearts and in your own words, inviting Jesus into your life, making the determination to follow him. Just as simple as, Lord Jesus, I want you to end my life. I open my heart to you. I want to follow you. You can do that tonight. And uh, Levi's going to come and let you know what to do next. Why don't we thank Pastor Chris?